Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. This is the Abby Normal Podcast, here to tell you that you're weird and that's normal. Welcome back to this series about a small group of change makers, the Women's Empowerment Network. They had brought some attention to the issues, namely that women were not getting equitable development and were not making it up the corporate ladder. But progress was not being made as quickly as they wanted. And despite pressure from membership, when leadership was not getting the answers, the data that they were looking for. Yeah, there was a lot of opportunity for us to talk, but I just I, I just never felt like anybody did anything yeah. with any of the information. Even the focus groups, I still don't feel like anybody did anything with that information. So because of the break ceilings guerrilla style campaign, no one could deny that there was a widespread problem. So what do you do about it? Well, if we look at problem number one, representation on the leadership team, there's two potential strategies. First is that you go out and find women to hire. Though employees can help with that, the real work is adjusting your recruiting processes to ensure you have a pool of diverse candidates, that the interview process is unbiased, and that you have a company climate that is attractive to women. This piece wasn't within Wynn's power. But the second strategy was foundational to their mission. Develop the women currently within your organization. Here's what energized Amy. I thought maybe there could be more of a voice around it. And if I could like create space for women to be able to speak up for themselves in those circumstances. And I've, I've talked to a couple people who like left the company like a while back who talked about stupid comments they got in their reviews that like no one would ever say to a man. And if I had been in a place where I felt like I could speak up that mama bear comment, I would have said, I'm sorry, would you say this to a man? Like what kind of advice would you give a man in this situation? And I think one of the huge problems there is that, and I think it's true of men and women, but I think especially of women is that there's no development. There's not, there's no structure helping people get to the next level that they want to get. So everybody's fighting so hard for it. They're not bringing anybody along with them. They fought so hard for what they got and they're not going to let go of it. But yeah, I saw it over and over again. And I like mentioned it to the executives that there needs to be more focus on development because Nobody knows how to do it, and they're fighting so hard for their own development that they don't know how to develop anybody else, and there's no, like, space. There's no, like, bandwidth for them to, like, bring people along with them. I mean, that's not... There There are the exceptions. There are people who that's just how they're wired. Yeah. If there's no structure and expectations around it, then that's where inequity occurs, right? So that's when yes. development is only happening because the manager is buddy buddy you know with this guy that he knows from this the other company that they worked in together and so it happens naturally versus like in a thoughtful strategic way that's fair to everybody no it's absolutely true and that's like that kind of environment just allows for favoritism to do its thing 
There are lots of reasons why women crash into the glass ceiling. Neither Wen nor I could address all of them. But one thing Wen did know, which was demonstrated in the focus groups, was that women had a hard time speaking up. And this could be improved through personal development, both competence and confidence. As you might remember, early on they created a very successful workshop to develop confidence. This story is about three more programs that they developed to give women more tools in their tool belt. They kept plugging along, doing what they believed was right, and trying to avoid those corporate strings that wanted to tether them. You know, when it didn't feel like it was really what it was meant for, which was just honest, open conversations, no strings attached. You know, once it started feeling like there were strings attached, it kind of felt gross to me. One of the first programs created was for mentorship. Here's Linda and Karen sharing how they got it going. You'll hear them refer to Rick. That's their boss, mentor, and all-around good guy. It was initially from, I mean, everything kind of spawned from the book club. as Brenda, Karen, and I, that we kind of started like a underground book club. And then we grew it into like an actual formal book club and got funding, right, from you guys, from L&D. And then we created the mentorship program, too. We were inspired, essentially, from our own like dealings with corporate and how we've been feeling, um, not, not ill will or anything, but just like, you know, you notice like people don't look like you or there's not that much women leadership, so you don't have any like examples. And so when we read the, at least from my perspective, when we read the Lean In book from Sheryl Sandberg, we were just like, oh, like, okay, all these things need to happen. And a big proponent was Rick, like our director, he was big on helping us and like advocating for us and guiding us and letting us do it on our, like during work time. Like he let it, he, he let it count as work right. as we like pitched the idea for the mentorship group. That was out of me and Brenda and Linda picturing them. <laughs> we made proposals. We pitched at the patty. They made us jump through hoops. Initially, like, HR told us no on the mentorship program. They told us no on all that stuff. They're like, well, we don't know if, like, you know, policy-wise it's okay. And they're like, well, maybe in, like, you know, five years from now. We're like, five years from now? You know, like the whole like equality, like parity by 2030, we're like 2030, <laughs> like by that time, like where are we all going to be at? Right. Um, so, I mean, that was essentially the same, same mentality that we had with like, if they told us no, we would just figure it out ourselves and ask for mentorship on our own. Right. And that's where I think I differ from like Brenda and Karen, where like, if people tell me no, I just look at it as like another way, like an, I'll find another way. Like a no is great. It's like, okay, like how do we start? Why is it no? And so I think that's where like Karen was really good and methodical, Brenda too. Uh, but for me, it was just more or less like, we'll figure it out. Like, mm -hmm. let's just ask for forgiveness after. Right. Let's just do it. If I listened to everybody that told me no, I'd be nowhere. And then they were going to do it. And then they were like, no, not just for women, for everybody. And I remember us feeling like, what the fuck? And then I remember Rick sending Linda and I an email telling us how proud he was that we got it for mid-level associates. And we never really thought about it like that. We just thought about it for women. And he's like, no, for everybody. And that's even better. 
And so I remember that being like a really powerful moment of like, you know, persistence pays off and, but you can't do it alone. Remember we were all working with Nancy and you guys on getting that um, kind of piloted. And the first group was like maybe I think 20 mentees and it did really well. So then that's when it got formalized the next year and just getting entry level women partnered with director, VP and above. I actually was the youngest uh, mentor. Oh, cool. When it it actually was commercialized, I guess. Um, Yeah, yeah. We have like a hundred. So I ended up being a mentor. So that was really, it was really fun to be on the other side. You know, I think that women leaning on other women, women component, like came in in a, in a way that I didn't really think about before because I always saw to myself as a lone wolf, but realized I, I do like to be part of the pack. Um, <laughs> I mean, Brenda and Linda, I think the three of us complimented each other in a way that none of us thought about it going into work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, I would never pick the two of them out of a lineup to be friends with. <laughs> um, like seriously like a Mexican a Chinese and a Jew walk into a room like we were like <laughs> not not the group of like not the three people that I I mean they if, if I had, had chosen women I thought would have like made big passionate plays for things like mentorship or book club or when like th- those were not the two I would have picked but I couldn't have asked for better partners than that I wouldn't have been able to do anything without Karen. She was like my, you know, my glue. Right. And then from that, I think is when one kind of started to come into fruition too. I think, you know, there was a lot more women who were like, oh, I want to be part of this mentorship group, but there's all these other things that we need to advocate for. Linda also planned something that brought her confidence. And it may seem a little bit weird in a corporate environment, self-defense training. From my end, I just try to bring to the table like what I grew up with and what helped, I think, raise confidence tools I have in my toolbox, I guess. Yeah. I think for women, like, you know, there's like an image thing, like you have to be skinny, you have to be this or something. Like to me, it was more just like, I want to be functional. Like I want to be able to like be independent. I don't need someone to help me like lift my suitcase over the overhead because I can do it myself. I don't know. I guess that's where my tomboyness comes out, where you can do it yourself a lot of the times. Like, you can do it yourself. I don't want women to feel like they can't do something, like they can't drive alone because they're scared or something like that. I want to be able to build confidences in them. And how do you build confidences in them, which is like by daily exercise or strengthening yourself or like doing martial arts, you don't feel like you're gonna, if you do get attacked, you know what to do, which is part of it. Like, is you have the knowledge behind being able to go and travel on your own. You know, like for instance, like for me, I remember when I first started at was like, Rick was like, do you feel comfortable traveling? Cause I had to go to these factories on my own. I was like, yeah, I'm fine. But he's like, well, a lot of, you know, I just asked because a lot of women aren't comfortable making these travel trips by themselves to factories. Yeah. And so like, and that everybody's background is different. So I, I everybody has different experiences, but like, I was able to always say yes because I didn't feel insecure about or scared about it because I was like, no, I can, I can definitely go to a foreign country. I can go to a domestic place, Chicago by myself and be fine for, you know, a couple of days. Right. I loved how you talked about like sharing something that you have in your tool belt, right? Like there's Mm -hmm. lots of different ways that women can feel empowered, can feel confident, 
which will give them the chance to climb the ladder, whatever it is that they choose and want to do. And so you're sharing that one piece that has worked for you. And mm -hmm. there's, lot, there's lots of other things, right, that build confidence, but that's one that's worked for you, which I think goes back to like the purpose of when, which is us all being able to share those things that we know and help yeah. other women, right? Yeah, and I wouldn't be here starting my own company if it weren't for those years I think part of it is like your own choices that you make, your own decisions that you make, your own effort that you put in. But part of and the other half is luck. Like I was lucky that I had, I had Karen, that I had Rick, I had, you know, L and D, I had Wen, like I had all these support groups that helped me grow. Karen and Linda's love for each other runs deep. The head of the Win Learning and Development Pillar connected with vendors to establish two programs. Just as she was proposing them and gaining support from leadership, she left the company. So Bridget was recruited to take over. She steps into these programs mid-planning, had to take the reins and lead them to fruition. I kind of felt like my superpower was being able to hire kick-ass people and then motivate them, get them up and running, confident and competent in what they were doing, and then kind of figuring out what it was that they wanted to do, what their trajectory was, and then kind of creating a path to help them get there. Mm -hmm. And I love doing that. Mm -hmm. I attended a meeting and uh, I thought it was awesome. Um, Sumi had, uh, she was kind of in charge of that pillar, learning and development. So we had a meeting with group to team. You needed to get buy-in from the president and from other uh, people across the organization because this program was going to be like $90,000, $120,000 initially. Oh, wow. And uh, it was supposed to be a year-long program. And this is where she was instrumental um, because Sumi has a super-duper power and that is the power of being able to persuade people. Um, so we together went around and talked to the VPs of each of the, you know, organizations, product, the head of product, the head of marketing, and she helped them to understand having people participate in this program and by putting their own funding towards this program. Um, and this is going to create a better sense of awareness for everybody to be able to you know, to have more of an executive presence, I think, is what it was. Okay, so, so you then went around, you sold yeah. it to the VPs, and then what happened? Yeah, they bought it, and the, so and we president. were on our way, the president. The president, yeah, okay. Yeah, then Sumi gave her two weeks. That, I believe, coincided very closely with us finding out that the company was moving. Surprise! So... <laughs> it all tilted sideways and people were just completely in shock. The announcement that the company was moving meant that the current campus was closing. Most employees were invited to relocate out of state with the company. So this is what she means by everything tilting sideways. People were deciding whether to move their whole lives to another state or choose to stay in the Bay Area. And then if that was the decision, what would they do? This was obviously very stressful for everyone, and weighty conversations were being had with partners and kids and managers as people tried to figure out their lives. In the midst of all this turmoil, 
Bridget perseveres. These are my notes. Good luck. Like she gave me everything she had. And yeah, how did you feel at that point? I grabbed onto it like it was my lifeline because I knew that this probably was going to be my my last dance. So I was going to do it. I was going to throw everything at it. it. It gave me, it was the thing that gave me joy. Mm-hmm. And I just started wrapping my head around it and thinking to myself, what is it that people need right now on campus? And I, I picked up the phone and I called uh, Freeman and Susan and I said, we have just been informed that our company is being relocated. People are freaking out. I don't know if this, you know, if we can, you know, still do this or not. And they quickly kind of regrouped and said, hey, we can, um, we can help you through this transition. We can kind of move this in a different direction. And I said, I think what we need right now is to help people to create some soft skills around having difficult decisions. We need people to be able to advocate for themselves, whether they are moving or moving into their next position, wherever that may be. We need to give people a sense of self, a sense of being able to communicate effectively, to be able to have difficult conversations, and to be able to to know that Everything doesn't have to be a, a win lose, and and this was these are also a lot of Freeman and Susan's words mixed in here. This mm-hmm. power over and win win. We did a great job of I think collaborating. They had a different approach. A lot of the people needed to be met uh, at a very specific place in terms of kind of your nomenclature so that there's not too much of a soft approach where people are going to shy away and think this isn't helping me in my actual professional life, but also being able to relate to them during a a very personal, emotional time of change. Right. And so that program came to life, we ended up getting a sign off for a five-month program, three in-person sessions, and two or three webinars. We expected 20, 25 people. And at least for the, the first program, we had over 65 people participate. It was amazing. I felt like we were heard and understood. It was a team effort. I mean, People were all over campus. They were putting out flyers. They were sending out emails. Karen had kind of taken over Sumi's position, but she also had a lot of other things on her plate. And so, and I told her, I said, this is, I have the bandwidth for this. I have the time for this. I'm not moving forward probably, you know, and so she really gave me the reins. And she also was so instrumental in kind of, also being a, um, a really good advocate for, for me and helping me to find my voice in being able to move forward confidently with this program. So, I mean, what I got out of this program versus what I feel I was able to hopefully provide other people, I got 10 times as much out of it as what I put into it for sure. I just, for the first time, felt like in this corporate environment that there was a collaboration and that women were 
looking out for each other and we were standing up and grabbing ourselves by the bootstraps but pulling everybody else up with us. It felt inclusive, it felt very good. That doesn't mean that there weren't moments when the corporate politics got the best of some situations. I, I don't know. It was weird. I um, did you feel that way at all? Tell me, tell me more about that. You mean like within when? Yeah, there was a little bit of it. Um, just the accolades. Who's going to present to whom about this particular thing and? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who did the work versus who was going to present. And sometimes that just felt a little yucky. It mm-hmm. didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't feel like that was what should be important. And that's where I, I feel like there was a little bit of a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, this recognition thing goes back to the diversity and inclusion action plan that corporate had created. There needed to be an emphasis on supporting this women's development program. And sometimes the WIN leadership team got credit for something simply because they were the face to the movement. What's really unfortunate is that what I loved about WIN and what I felt like was the best parts for everyone was that it was inclusive and it was equal. And if you wanted to step up and have a quote leadership role or put a project together, like you could do it, right? Sumi just stepped up and did this, then you took it over and ran with it and it was your thing. And that was kind of happening throughout the organization. But the problem is that Win is within a broader organization, right? So the president of the company is not gonna come and talk to the entire Win body or membership. The president wants to talk to another president or who is the leader of Win. And so even if we as when maybe didn't want that, we still had to operate within that structure. I find that to feel a little disingenuous and not how when would have wanted it, but I don't know that there's a choice there. A hundred, it's <laughs> okay. absolutely a hundred percent. And that's where I, that is why I wanted to qualify that also as situational. I don't feel that anybody did that. I don't feel that anybody was trying to take over or take credit or anything like that. Um, But situationally speaking, it did not allow the program to function in a way that I think was most effective or in in your word, authentic, Mm -hmm. to be able to truly allow people to get out of it in every way what they could have. Totally. Yeah. How, how did you feel at the end? What kind of feedback did you get on it? So the feedback was for what ended up being the Confident Women Empowered Men program was outstanding. It averaged a, a 9.3 out of 10. Everybody was able to take some nuggets away. Everybody was able to better deal with what was directly in front of them at the time and have some tools in their toolbox, so to speak, to be able to better handle very, very difficult conversations and difficult situations that were coming up every day. You know, for example, that when you're sitting down with somebody or when somebody approaches you and they feel that 
you're going to do either A or it's the highway, you know, to be able to sit down with them and say, hey, let's talk about this and figure out where we can kind of both feel really good about this because, you know, it doesn't have to be you or me or this way. There's a third option here. And, and I think that we can meet it together. And it was a critical time to, to be introducing those tools while people were trying to determine whether they were going to move and was somebody moving into a new position, a new salary, or if you were moving on to another company, you know, trying to have interviews and conversations with potential employers. And, and what does that look like as you're leaving a job that maybe you loved and you, you didn't want to leave? So I felt like we had absolutely accomplished what we had set out to do. I felt really good about it. I wanted to keep going. You know, the timing of that workshop without knowing that the company was relocating was just so prescient, you know, because it really was about like finding your voice. Who are you? What do you want? How do you put that out into the world? Um, you know, they, they use that like confidence model. Absolutely. Freeman always asks, who are you up to being? And, and it's actually a really thoughtful question. Um, it's a great question because it can change from day to day, can change from situation to situation, but it, it kind of keeps it top of mind. We had to, at one point during the class, during Confident Women Empowered Men, a mission statement of who we were, and we had to come up with these key words. And from that, I became a, a, a vulnerable, connected woman who's very playful and uh, sharing my abundant heart with myself and with everyone around me. It's a mantra. It becomes a mantra. Um, and you have to kind of connect with yourself enough to come up with your own mantra. But gosh, that was how long ago. And, you know, I've said it so many times to myself that you start to buy into those things. And there is something that starts to shift within yourself. The Women of Win conducted a confidence workshop, established a mentorship program, held self-defense training sessions, and a full five-month leadership development program. But what do these skills look like in practice? How do you apply them within a bro culture? What happens when someone is confident enough to speak up for themselves? Here's Rachel's experience. So I got to the point that I had a notebook I had this special section of my notebook that was just dedicated to being shit down that would happen in meetings. And it blew my mind that nobody, it, it seemed like nobody else was picking up on the gender dynamics that were being played out in meetings. And I would just sit there and not even be able to <laughs> focus on what, what was happening, what was going on from a business sense, because it was just so obvious to me that the gender dynamics were so off, at least in the department that I was working in. And it was, it, I mean, it got challenging for me to not like, you know, I would be sitting there and I, I'm sure my face would be red. And um, because I was in a position where I wasn't, you know, I'm like a peon. I'm not a director or even a senior or I'm not in charge 
asked of anybody. Um, and I noticed it really early on, like from when I very first started working. And then it kind of seemed to crescendo after I had been there a couple more years. I just didn't know what to do with it. I mean, I was, I was so mad and I didn't know who to talk to about it. Um, I never went to HR necessarily because I heard that that did nothing. Um, I got put on a new team and I had a new manager. And once I decided to voice some of those frustrations after a meeting to, to um, this manager and learned really quickly too that that wasn't the right avenue or place to do it. And I think back on that all the time that I had gone to this manager and said something and that person ended up, you know, also becoming one of the like huge perpetrators of some of that culture. And I couldn't believe that sort of in my um, naivety, I had, I had actually brought that up to him. And I really, I feel so awkward about that so many times now thinking mm. about that. Do you remember what you told him? Like, did you bring a specific issue? We had this big review and he asked, how did the meeting go? And I said, do you really want to know? I think he was like, yeah, of course, like we can talk, you can, you know, I'm here. Like, what did, what did you think? And I think he was, he had no idea what I was about to say, you know? And of course that thing happens. It always happens with me where my voice gets shaky and I'm like trying to be brave or I'm being brave. So I said exactly what I just said to you. I said, you know, I have this page in my notebook and what I do sometimes to make it through these meetings is just to write these things down and it really bothers me. And I don't know how to change this culture because sometimes it feels like nobody else is seeing it but me. And I shared, I mean, I literally opened the page and shared in just that meeting, the phrases and the, you know, body language and all these things that had just happened, the posturing in that very meeting. I don't remember exactly what the complete response was, but it was something to the effect of, I wish you could meet my wife because she is such a feminist. Um, oh. She, she's so into this stuff. You know? <gasps> oh my God. That kind, of, that kind of response. And I was just kind of like, yeah, cool. Like, he's like, you remind me so much of my wife, you know? That's, that feels scary to share that, but whatever. I mean, what feels scary I about saying? What's scary about it? Just because I think this is the thing. I think at a company like where we worked, everybody thinks that they're really woke in regards to a lot of things. And there's a lot of posturing that the brand does to try and signify that. Um, and then when you realize that internally that isn't the case, it's really upsetting. And I think a lot of the people who don't think they're part of the problem are part of the problem. So it's really hard to name that. And then of course, I mean, that's like at the immediate level. And then there's all the stuff under the surface that comes up anytime that you're a woman in an organization that, you know, you don't want to be seen as a certain way. You, you want to be part of the club and then also want judgment from other females who feel that there's the same issues, but don't approach them in the same way as you do. Um, I mean, it's all the stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, of course it feels, it feels scary because you still don't want to rock the boat, even though I'm, I'm not even employed by them. Right, you know? right. I'm still part of the industry, right? You know, it, it, it is important. Like, so there's just that fear mm -hmm. um, that you're, gonna, I mean, I think I got less and less worried about that <laughs> while I was in the organization. I, I should say I got more brave and, and less concerned about that because I was just so sick of it. 
but I would be lying if I didn't say that now being out and having some distance, I've questioned at times whether that was the right thing for my career or how I was perceived within that organization. Or maybe it's just me thinking too much about it and nobody even knew, but um, you know, I have to wonder. I want to like dig into this a little bit because I totally know what you're talking about as far as the the bro culture, but I feel like it's such a hard thing to describe. Like, do you have any specific examples? (laughs) It's so funny because we call it the bro culture, but like even just saying, hey, bro, like those words um, would come up all the time. Hey, bro. Like it would be like a joke, but at the same time, it's not a joke. Um, And you know, I've worked in the industry now that are, um, um, where sports and sporting in some form is part of the culture. And I think that there's a portion of that that happens too on certain, you know, when there's trips or things that are planned, like there's a different like physical element that men participate in. Um, sometimes that wasn't like a invitation that was extended to everybody not being inclusive in general, like in meetings. I mean, that was the place that always stood out to me the most was the way that men would talk to women in professional meetings was always really appalling to me. Like saying things like, here's your microphone or giving women being like, you can talk now or, you know, all that sort of stuff that just happens. That's so hard to name and feels petty to even say it out loud, you know, when you're like, well, what are the examples? One time I was in a meeting and someone pulled out a phone and was, and said, you have a minute to talk. Um, Because this person in particular, this woman, you know, kind of had a way of speaking that was kind of roundabout and whatever. And um, I just didn't ever see that limit or like, like minimizing. Yeah, minimizing. I just never saw that happen um, between other guys. And also a lot of like, yeah, posturing, like physical posturing within meeting spaces. I saw that all the time, like talking over women, like women had to present themselves in a certain way to be taken seriously. I think they either had to like fall into the like guys guy sort of club where it was like funny and laughy and jokey. Um, But even women who were in top positions, it's like, I could see right through it, you know, like I could see in their eyes and so, or they had to be really like commanding and almost harsh. And then they had a certain degree of respect on the surface, but it was just so hard to hold on. And I think that that perpetuated the culture of certain women being in high positions, really having to hold on for dear life and not being able to bring other women up with them because Mm -hmm. they were just clawing out their space. So I think when I first was in the organization, I was really critical of a lot of those women um, in those positions. And the longer that I was there, the more I could see like what was really going on and saw that they were victims of the same sort of issue too, that they were just like holding on for dear life and feeling a little bit less critical and realizing that they're playing the same game. They're just in a higher position. And so their power dynamics are different than mine. It's, it's all of it. It's like all of the classic stuff. It's like, I remember reading like Lean In and just being like underlying like every single thing, you know, and just being like, yes, this is how I feel. This is how I feel. This is how I feel. And so in some ways it's like really nothing specific to that particular organization. I don't think it's just all the things. It's the posturing, the language, 
when you say posturing, do you mean like physical or verbal mm -hmm. or? I think both, but I mean, I had it. I mean, for me, I'll never forget this. One time I had on dangly earrings, like a hoop earring or something like that. And I was talking to my manager, you know, we were sitting like at the corner of a table. So he's at the head of the, of a long table. I'm sitting there and I was trying to talk to him about something semi-serious, being vulnerable, telling him something that was important to me that bothered me. And he reached out and like stuck his finger and like started messing with my earring. This could just be him and not like a bigger issue, but he didn't want to like deal with what I was telling him about. So he was minimizing. I mean, it was just so obvious to me what was happening. Here I am. You can tell by my tone of voice. You can tell by the subject that I'm talking to you about that I'm serious and I'm asking for your help as a manager. And you are minimizing that in my physical, like if, if you're not even going to say anything about it, like the fact that you start like dangling and messing with my earring as I'm telling you this is absurd. You're minimizing what I'm saying. You're making it playful and jokey. And you're like in my personal space, dude. Get out of my personal space, you know? Don't touch my earring. Mm -mm. Um, and that's just mind-blowing to me that that happens, you know? <laughs> that's crazy. It's mind-blowing to me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all of those things. And again, it those things feel so silly in some ways when you talk about them. But it's all of those little things stacked together that really create a culture that is not is not friendly and is not inclusive for lots of different people. It hurts everybody. It's like men need to care about it too. Um, and I just, there just like was not that awareness. Like I said, how I used to be harsh of women in certain positions where I would have opinions about that and that softened over time. I felt the same way about some dudes as well. You know, it's like you have a couple like kings at the top that are like creating this culture and everybody has to fall in line because I had a lot of guy counterparts that would come to me and, and say like, I noticed this, ha especially when they knew like through being active and when and some of this stuff, like they would come to me and be like, yeah, this happens or whatever, but then they would play into, you know, and I would play into, I mean, everybody has to, it's like survival of the fittest. Like you don't really have another choice. Really, you know, if you care yeah. about your career, it's like if, if nobody wants it, but it's just perpetuated by a few people, then like, why can't it change? Right. Jen joined Wynn in the early days and headed up the speaker series as part of the learning and development pillar. Jen is an organizational leader herself. You heard her last episode referring to her team as the United Nations. So from this unique perspective as a VP, I wanted to know if and how she could speak up in situations similar to Rachel's. At any time, have you come up against what you felt like was unequal gender dynamics? Oh, I think it exists everywhere, right? Like, I think, um, you know, even my daughter pointed out when she was quite young, like, mom, why is all the money just white men, right? Like, why is white white males on all of our currency? Why are all the piano composers men? There's so much of that patriarchy that's just ingrained that it, it's unconscious, right? Because it's everywhere in our society, presidents, popes, everything, white male. And so to your point about the career, I um, I've always experienced that just in the sense of, I don't think I've ever worked for a woman CEO. I'm just trying to think if that's true. Maybe only once at a startup where one of the co-founders was a woman, um, but she wasn't the CEO. Throughout my career, most of the VPs are white male, except as we always say, the token woman in HR or the token woman in legal and now sort of marketing. But 
I don't know that I've ever been in a culture where it's been equitable 50-50 of male, female. Mm-hmm. And definitely, again, people of color probably not as represented at the VP level either. Yes. So I, I do try to champion it. I do try to bring it to people's attention. Currently, I'm back in tech, and tech is definitely skewed more male. And so I will you note know, to my other colleagues, like, you guys notice that I'm the only woman in this meeting, or is anybody else keeping score? Like, isn't this interesting? So, um, and again, definitely try to change it. The person I'm working for now, he hired, the folks that he's hiring are more female, and he's hoping to change the dynamic in the culture, which uh, was very important to me when I was interviewing to make sure that um, I had someone like that. Jen is succinct, but I want you to really hear two things that she said. First, when she's the only woman in a meeting, she immediately brings it to the group's attention in the moment. What she said was, quote, is anyone else keeping score? This question moves the issue from her shoulders to the broader team so she's not the only one responsible for diversity in the room. She said score off the tip of her tongue, but this is the second important thing, data. This is all little anecdotes and personal experiences until you translate those numbers. The leadership team should not only be aware, but also be tracking who's invited when and making sure you've got a 50-50 split if that's what your goal is. What would be the first thing on your list that you would work on changing internally? Uh, just awareness, right? I think I think it's always good to just start with the data because people can't refute the data. So if you can bring the data and say, look at our employee populace today and let's look at you know how many women at all the various levels how many people of color at the various levels um you know and ideally set goals to change that and i think now there's a lot of technology solutions which are great where you can remove the name and schools and whatnot from resumes to really hope that the unconscious bias isn't coming through i think it's really common for people to hire people like themselves so making sure you're creating an additive culture where they may not fit in, but that's a good thing, right? So you want to bring in that diversity of opinion and thought. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that would be my goal is to understand where they are today from a data standpoint and set a goal for where you want to be and just measure to it. Because I think um, another fantastic woman I worked with uh, there always would say like, um, what isn't measured doesn't matter. So I think it is all about that. Like you really do, you measure what matters. So you need to codify that and make sure everybody's aligned to it. Right. You always appeared to me to be very confident. You have no problem speaking your mind, speaking your opinions. How do you do that in a room full of men? I was fortunate enough, I did go to an all girls high school. So in that education and training, uh, we were all expected to be presidents, lawyers, doctors. There was never any bias in that regard. And I'm from the East Coast, which is definitely far more direct culture, I think, than sometimes that I've experienced out in California. So I've never had an issue with it, but I've definitely been in meetings where, um, you know, men will just talk right over you. And you're just like, "Uh, hello, I'm talking, I'm speaking. (laughs) And so that has definitely happened. And I think it's just like, you know, trying to address it, bring up your point again, right? And be like, oh, I don't know if you just heard me, but this is what I said. And I think as they always advise for women, and I do think it's really important, is to find an advocate in that meeting and always to tell people and bring it up and say, hey, I don't know if you noticed, but someone so just talked over me in the next meeting. When I say something, do you mind if you need to say it as well or notice it or call it out? So I think women do have to really advocate for themselves and figure out their support network and 
call at hand bad behavior or get that advocate if they're not feeling comfortable, get another advocate in that room so that can help champion them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a strategy that you use, which seems tiring to me. How do you keep that going? Yeah. I don't know. I I think to your point, like I am just my authentic self. So it's not tiring in that regard because I just am who I am. Yeah. Um, But I also truly believe that everyone has a responsibility to their own personal brand and has to do the right thing, right? Because at the end of the day, you have to look yourself in the mirror. And if you disagree with something, like I've never been one to be like, well, that's the boss. And that's what the boss said. Because, you know, we don't go back to like World War II. Um, (laughs) So you have to do the right thing, right? You need to know that you're looking yourself in the mirror. And I was fortunate enough to take a class in values and my core values integrity. And so for mm. me, that drives sort of all my decisions and all my actions. I've never been motivated by sort of money or title. It's more about integrity and learning. Those are values that I hold dearly. I think that that's good. And I talked to Rachel and she was telling me about how she has a notebook and she had a special section where she would write down like poor behavior that she observed in meetings. And I think about the data thing and it's like little behaviors like that add up and make a big impact for women, but aren't going to show up on a data sheet. So how do you find and address those kind of things? So I think a few things. I think if they're comfortable, they should call it on the person like equal time for equal participation, right? Like you're not doing this with the other people on the team. So why are you doing it with me? You can either confront them in the meeting or after the meeting one-on-one. If you're not comfortable doing that, then I think that's where you have to find the ally, right? And you have to... um, have someone discuss that and say like, this is not equitable at all. Like why would you set a timer for one person regardless of gender versus the others? Like this is not, no, like not okay. So um, I think you have to nip it in the bud if you're comfortable and if you're not right after the meeting or finding that ally or even going to that person's boss and be like, you know what? This person doesn't recognize this behavior but I need to bring it to your attention because it is abhorrent. Like that, that should not be tolerated, right? And to your point, many people may not be comfortable but I think it is collecting that data and putting the date and the time and the place and who was speaking and the witnesses um, because people are fearful of retaliation, but it's not going to change, right? Unless, unless people start to report. So I think it's figuring out a way to feel comfortable to report because I know so many are, are fearful of retaliation. As Jen says, at the end of the day, you have to look at yourself in the mirror. Even though Rachel has concerns that what she said impacted her career, reputation, she had to be accountable to herself. She had to be brave. And each time you speak up, it's practice so it can become a habit. Then it moves from being tiring to just being a part of who you are. Wynn was working to make change in very tangible ways providing the development women needed to be competent and confident enough to advocate for themselves. But the culture in general was still lagging behind. There was a lot of work to be done to grow a culture that was inclusive to all, especially to caregivers. Here's Rachel again. Maybe the reason I became interested in the child care portion of it is because it was a barrel I was looking down. I mean, I knew it wouldn't happen for me and for that pregnancy and whatever, but that was something that as like, as a person without children, I didn't have to think about that at all in my, in my prior kind of professional experience. And all of a sudden 
when I became pregnant, it just hit me. Like I was thinking about all these things and I was having a lot of discussions with my husband. Like, is this impacting you the same way? Are you thinking about how your career is going to change and what you're going to do? of what it's like to be a caregiver who works. Um, we're, we're actually, we're recording a podcast. I mean, it can be edited. So <laughs> what you say is probably not going to be on it. But what podcast? <laughs> Abby's podcast. It's called Abby Normal. Oh, <laughs> As a reference to Young Frankenstein. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> 